Aren't you thankful for that love of Jesus Christ today? Amen. Praise God that He saw our need and came to meet it by giving His own life. Luke chapter 3, let's pick up our study in the gospel according to Luke chapter 3. We'll be looking at the second half of this chapter today as we study God's word together. You've all been in the place of needing to confirm your identity For one reason or another, perhaps you were making some sort of an application for something or you were attempting to set up a profile on an Internet source or maybe you were uh, trying to just accomplish something at a state agency or a federal agency or a place of business. And to do that, you had to confirm your identity. How do you do that? Different agencies, different businesses call for different things. Sometimes you need a picture ID. It may be your driver's license, a state ID card, some other form of ID card that you have that has your picture on it, maybe even a passport. In some cases, they need specific pieces of information, your birth date, your social security number, or some such thing. In case you don't know this, this is just free today. If you get a text message or a phone call from an agency claiming to be the IRS and they ask for your social security number, don't give it to them. That's not the IRS. They only send letters. So just in case you weren't aware... Keep that in mind, okay? But we understand this. It's really something that is essential to our lives today, confirming identity, especially because of this digital age in which we live. We're often asked to do this and to accomplish what we need to. We have to confirm our identity. Well, after he provided a concise record of John the Baptist's life and ministry, Luke turned his attention back to Jesus through an account that connected him with the ministry of John. Immediately after that, Luke provided a genealogy of Jesus with unique characteristics compared to the genealogy that Matthew's gospel supplies. And we'll look at that a little further later in the message. But I want you to remember... For sake of even beginning to understand why there may be unique aspects to the gospel as presented by four different penmen. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, some of them share stories that the others don't. Some of them share the same stories, but with at times even seemingly contradictory details. Sometimes they share things in a different order. And a lot of those questions are answered when we remember that God, as he moved these men along by his Holy Spirit to pen his word, they're each writing to different audiences for different reasons. 
Luke, again, is writing to Theophilus to firmly ground him in the faith. And as he does so, he connects Jesus' baptism with what I'm going to call here his birth story. And it's important to the context of Luke chapter 3. In connecting the baptism and the genealogy of Jesus, his birth story, Luke identified a perfect Savior with persistent sinners. We need to know this today. We have a perfect Savior who came to us and identified with us so that he could save us. We are challenged to see and respond to this identification through Luke's records of Jesus' baptism and his birth. You see, as Luke identifies these As he speaks of Jesus' identification with man, he demonstrates God's love and grace. Can I say to those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior today, we should always remember the miracle of salvation by grace through faith. Let's not ever get over it. You and I should never get over hearing the gospel. We should never get over the story of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we come to a place in our lives where these just don't mean anything to us anymore. Where it doesn't touch us in some way. It is time for us to reflect on where we are in our walk with the Lord. Because something's lacking. Don't ever get over the miracle of salvation by grace through faith. And then if you still need to become a follower of Christ. Trust Jesus for salvation today. He's the perfect Savior who came because we are persistent sinners. How does this show up in the text today? Through the baptism and the birth story of Jesus. Let's see, number one, Jesus identified with us through his baptism. Look at Luke chapter 3, specifically verses 21 and 22. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. The Bible says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. The previous context sheds light on the baptism of Jesus. You remember last Sunday, we focused on the ministry and message of John the Baptist. What was John the Baptist 
preaching? What was he preparing the people for? The Messiah's coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so the people should do what? Repent. When they were then being baptized, this was not baptism like Christian baptism. We're baptized not for repentance, not for forgiveness. We're baptized as a representation that we have repented and received forgiveness. We're baptized to identify ourselves with Jesus, with his life, with his mission. What he wants to do continually in us. But as John was calling these people to baptism, he was calling them to come and be baptized as a... In outward show, we're sinners, we're repenting. And so when Jesus showed up one day and stepped into the water and said to John, baptize me. It's no wonder that Matthew's gospel records that John said, no, You don't need to be baptized. Why would John say that? Remember his message. Come and be baptized in repentance for forgiveness of sin. In John's estimation, Jesus submitting himself to baptism was like saying, I'm a sinner and I need to repent. Is that what was going on? Is that what Jesus was doing? The answer is no. As we read in Matthew earlier, Matthew recorded that Jesus told John that they, both of them, would fulfill righteousness in the act. The father wanted Jesus to take this step. You say, Pastor, the Bible doesn't specifically say that. No, but the Bible does record that Jesus said, I always do the will of him that sent me. Everything Jesus did, he did in obedience to the will of the Father. So certainly, God the Father wanted Jesus to take that step. In doing so, Jesus was obeying the Father. But additionally, this was a a symbolic representation of the opening of his ministry, From here, Jesus will go into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days and nights of of the devil. And then will embark going about Galilee and Judea later, teaching the kingdom of God and doing miracles. This was a way of Jesus presenting himself to Israel. But then deeper still. His baptism represented his identification with sinful men, not because he himself was a sinner, but because he came to save. And baptism spiritually represents his work of redemption to accomplish it. Do you remember how Paul wrote of this in Romans chapter 6? He said, as many of you as were baptized, were baptized into his death. And it's that symbol of 
Jesus dying on the cross and by being lowered into the water, in that sense, we are representing his death. For us, it is not a physical death, but there is a death that takes place. The death of what? Sin in us. The old man. Not that we are no longer sinners because we are. But now the power of sin no longer holds all the authority in our lives. And then we are raised up out of the water to walk in newness of life after his resurrection. Jesus, when he submitted to the baptism of John, was foreshadowing what he would do to redeem man. Looking on, someone may believe that, I, that Jesus identified himself as a sinner by submitting to this baptism, but Jesus had no sin to repent of. John the Baptist himself declared, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God himself identified his approval of Jesus. And notice again there in Luke chapter 4, verse, uh, Luke 3, excuse me, verse number 22. The voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. These statements reveal the identity of Jesus, but beyond that, excuse me, the Father's approval, but beyond that, they reveal the identity of Jesus. Because both these phrases echo Old Testament Messiah prophecies. For example, beloved son echoes Psalm 2 verse 7. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm that talks about the kingdoms and the kings of the world all gathering together against God and against his Christ, his Messiah, his anointed one. And and joining their voices together to oppose God in the kingdom that he was bringing But Psalm 2 goes on to speak of the victory of the Messiah, how the Messiah is the beloved son in whom the father is pleased, in whom the father has given glory and honor and victory. And Psalm 2 will then go on to tell us how we should respond to the son. Psalm 2 verse 12 says this, kiss the son. Lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. But in contrast, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And then the father said, in thee and I'm well pleased. This echoes Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 is a prophecy of the suffering servant who would come not just for the the Jew, but for the Gentile. The suffering servant chosen by God, who would suffer for the sins not just of the Jews, but for all mankind, would make salvation available to all. So not only would the Jews be invited to the Father's banquet, so the Gentiles would also be. 
Friend, can I remind you today that your standing with God is tied to and dependent on your belief in the Son. There are many in our world who think that they are good with God because they believe in God. They believe in the Father while they dismiss, neglect, or reject the Son. Friend, today understand this. You cannot be good with God apart from the Son. You cannot have a home in heaven for all of eternity because of being good with God if you have not come to God through faith in the Son. Jesus in being baptized, God the Father identifying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, as Luke puts it, in thee I am well pleased. Is that a representation of his work? Jesus came to do that work because you and I cannot come to the Father apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus was showing himself to be that sacrificial lamb who would give himself for the world's sins. And so Jesus identified with us through his baptism. Secondly, this morning, Jesus identified with us through his birth. Luke is very interesting. Luke gives us a lot of pre-detail to the birth of Jesus. Luke 1 is 80 verses all leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 2. Matthew is different. Matthew begins with a genealogy Tells us about the angel's appearance to Joseph. And then next thing you know, in Matthew 2, Jesus is here and the wise men are searching him out. Mark really doesn't tell us much about the birth of Jesus at all. Really anything. He just declares to us that Jesus is the son of God. And next thing you know, he's doing miracles. John gives us no birth story at all. Tells us about the eternal son of God who existed long before he was born and laid in a manger. And then jumps into the witness of John the Baptist. Luke gives us all these details leading up to the birth story of Christ. Tells us about his birth. Tells us about his, his, uh, his sacrifice to God in the temple. Joseph and Mary bringing him and presenting a gift for their firstborn son to God there in the temple. Tells us about his 12-year-old self there in the temple in Jerusalem being left behind because he must be about his father's business. Comes, tells us about the ministry and message of John the Baptist that Jesus was baptized. And now we get a genealogy. And even then, his genealogy is very different from Matthew's. Matthew gives us a total of 42 names over the course of 42 generations. From beginning with Abraham and going to David and then beginning with David and going on. Luke gives us 75 names, and he starts at the end. 
he starts with Jesus and works his way back in time. Why the difference? Why do they differ in these ways? Let me concisely show you just two of the ways they differ and give you the reasons. Again, Matthew began at Abraham, worked forward to Jesus. Luke started with Jesus, worked backward through Abraham to Adam and God. Matthew wrote for a Jewish audience. As Matthew penned his gospel account, he was writing specifically for Jews. And in giving the genealogy as he did, he was distinguishing Jesus as a genuine Jew. Luke wrote as a Gentile for a Gentile audience. And he gave the genealogy as he did simply to identify Jesus as human. In Greek mythology, which was the the standard of the day among non-Jews over the known world, there were gods and then there were these demigods who were kind of part God, part man. But the gods never interacted with humankind, certainly would not come to earth as a man for man. Luke was identifying there is something completely different about the true God and his heart for mankind. Once a Bible translator to a distant tribe, was translating the New Testament, and he decided to save the genealogies for last because, in his mind, the genealogies were the least important part of the gospel. But once he finished the genealogies and presented them to the people of this tribe, the people were astounded, and they told the translator... You mean to tell us that this Jesus was a real person with real ancestors? We had no idea. In similar vein, this is why Luke presented the genealogy the way he did, so that people would know Jesus truly was man. And then there are many differences in the names. Obviously, if... Matthew names 42 and and Luke names 75. There are some differences and we're not going to take time to get into all the particulars. But let me simply share with you. I believe that Matthew presented Jesus's legal line through Joseph. While Luke presented Jesus's bloodline through Mary. Why the difference was Jesus Physically related to Joseph. No. Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost. Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. But Joseph's ancestry came through the line of David by way of Solomon. Matthew presents Jesus' genealogy through Joseph is the legal father of Jesus to show that Jesus had a legal claim to the throne of David. Because remember, the Old Testament said 
that the Messiah would be a descendant of David and he would be the one to eternally sit on the throne fulfilling the Davidic covenant. But remember when the census took place, Mary also went to to Bethlehem. Mary was also a descendant of David, but not through Solomon. Mary was a descendant of David through David's fourth son with Bathsheba by the name of Nathan. This gave Jesus now not only the legal right to the throne, but the physical right by blood. But it also avoided some problems. Theologically speaking, we we believe that that it avoided the Adamic sin nature through Adam because he was not born of Joseph. But even more importantly, and we can see it in Scripture, one of David's descendants on Solomon's line was a king whose name I can't remember now, unfortunately. But Jeremiah pronounced a curse from God that no descendant of that particular king would ever sit on the throne. If Jesus had come through Solomon's line physically, he would have been under that curse. But he did not. He came through Mary's line through David's son, Nathan. So that is why the differences. But here's what I really want to draw to your attention this morning. As we think about Jesus's identification as the perfect savior with us as persistent sinners. Whether you're looking at Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, 18, or Luke's genealogy of Jesus here in Luke chapter 3, there are names we recognize and names we don't. Some of these have stories recorded for us in the Word of God. Some of them do not. Recently for a class project, many of you know I'm, I'm in school, I'm pursuing a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling, and I'm taking a class right now that, that requires me to both pursue immersing myself in my culture as well as another culture that I'm less familiar with. In writing a paper, immersing myself into my own culture, I had to go back and not just think of my family history, but my family background, where we come from. And to be honest with you, we're we're not completely sure. We don't really know. So I was talking with my parents, getting some, some family history, and I eventually ended up, as I was sitting down talking with them, signing up for a free trial of Ancestry.com to see if I could build a family tree and go back a ways and try to determine some things. And so I began building a family tree, myself and my parents and their parents, and started working back. Along certain lines of those, I went back as far as the late 1400s. Learned some interesting things. We have some... 
ancestors who, at least back in those days, were in England. We have some from who were born in Canada, some who were born in Germany, some who were born in Prussia, in other places. An interesting note, especially for those of you who have lived all your lives in North Carolina and still think it's weird at times sitting under a Midwestern pastor, my dad's family from about the mid-1700s to the early 1900s were all in Surrey County, North Carolina. About three generations of the Willards lived and died in Surrey County, North Carolina, over in the western part of the state. So there are some North Carolina roots, okay? But it was interesting as I, as I did this and learned some things I didn't know and, of course, saw some names I didn't know. And some of them, few of them, we know some of their stories. Others of them, we do not. There was one, I think my seventh great-grandmother was born in England and died on a ship coming to America in 1637, I think it was. Stories we know, many that we do not. The same is true of Jesus' family tree. There are some stories here that we know. We read their names and we connect them with different passages in the Old Testament and go, oh yeah, that was so-and-so and this happened in their life. And then there are some we read their name. Well, we try to read their name. We butcher it. We can't even pronounce it. And we're like, who in the world is that? And we might go back and try to find them in the Bible. We just can't. Maybe the only other place they appear is in one of the Old Testament genealogies. But we don't know their stories. But I can say something that I do know is true of all of them. You know what it is? They were all sinners. Consider some of them that we do know. Let's let's go to the end and work forwards toward Jesus. Verse 38 mentions Adam. We know his story, don't we? The first of humanity created by God, formed of the dust of the ground by the very hand of God into whose nostrils God breathed the breath of life, would come and walk with him in the cool of the day there in the garden. Can you imagine God walking side by side with this guy and Eve there in the garden day by day? Until the day when Eve threw deception and Adam without deception, just by pure choice, sinned against God and plunged all humanity into sin and because of sin, death. We work forward a little further in verse 34. Some of the people very critical to the Story of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did they have their problems? I mean, Abraham on two different occasions presented Sarah to the leaders of the land. Here, this is not my wife, she's my sister. Ten years after God made a promise, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring the Messiah is what the promise was all about to the world through your line. And he and Sarah didn't have a baby. 
he sleeps with one of Sarah's servants, maybe we'll do it this way. They had their problems. Isaac followed daddy's example on one occasion and told a king, she's not my wife, of Rebekah. Favored Esau, even though God told them that the second born would be the one through whom the promise would flow. And yet Isaac favored Esau, the firstborn. Jacob had some, some issues, didn't he? What does his name mean? Deceiver. I think it's interesting, don't you, that when God wrestled with Jacob and told Jacob, your name will no more be Jacob, but Israel. And yet after that, you find his name Jacob used many times. And normally it's used when he's afraid, when he's lacking trust in God, when he's not too sure that God's involved. No more will your name be Jacob, it's going to be Israel. But he would still act like Jacob an awful lot, wouldn't he? How about verse 33? In verse 33, you find Judah. He's one of Jacob's sons. The son of Jacob and Leah. He's he's heavily involved. Probably takes the lead in selling Joseph into slavery. And if that weren't enough, Genesis chapter 38, if memory serves me correctly, Judah's son, Pharez, is mentioned here. Who's that? Pharez was Judah's son through an incestuous relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Whom when he slept with her, he thought she was a prostitute. And that made it okay. At least in his mind. When he found out that Tamar was expecting, he said, call her forward and we'll burn her. Talk about self-righteous. When he found out she was pregnant with his child, he relented and showed mercy. You continue on, verse 32 mentions a man who married a harlot, as well as another man who married a woman of Moab. Of course, we know her is Ruth, who became one of the godly women of the Old Testament. But she was from a country that God had said, you're never to marry those people. You're you're never to interact with them. In verse 31 David's son, Nathan, who who we mentioned, the descendant of David through whom Mary was a descendant. David's son, Nathan, was one born to he and a woman by the name of Bathsheba, whom David had slept with before her husband was dead. Which makes sense because once they found out she was expecting, David made sure her husband was dead so no one would suspect him of doing something he shouldn't have. We could go on and on and on. You say, Pastor, what is the point? Here's the point. This is the family tree of Jesus. Think about that. 
That's what Jesus was identified with as a man, as a part of that family. Whether you look at Matthew's legal line or Luke's physical line, the same reality appears from generation to generation. Sinner, 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 and so on. But here's what I want you to see in it. Because as we trace the genealogy, whether we started Abraham and go through Jesus or started Jesus and work our way back all the way even through Adam back to God, there is something that, that shouts louder to us than the sinfulness of these people. There is something that calls out to us more than, wow, look at how messed up adultery, incest, harlotry, and so on messed up this family tree is what calls out to us even louder than how messed up it was how dysfunctional it was at times how sinful it was what shouts out louder to us is hey God's grace God's love you see because this is exactly why we needed a savior Even the very family that God chose to bring his son into the world through had a lot of problems. Yet God sent his son. His grace shines through it all. Jesus came and with him the hope for all humanity. Not just those in this family. For Paul wrote, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to Abraham's family. Oh, and, and even then only through certain descendants. No, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to what? Say it, all men. That means you. It means me. Everyone has the grace of God that brings salvation available to them. The Savior born into this family is not the Savior of this family only, but is the Savior of all. Now think about the contrast between the stories of his baptism and birth. Why are these connected? Why does Luke put it in this order? In Matthew's gospel, genealogy comes right at the beginning. Birth, wise men, baptism, and then wilderness. Luke, all this stuff before his birth. Birth, as a young baby in the temple. Twelve-year-old in Jerusalem. The ministry of John the Baptist. Baptism. And before we get to the wilderness, here now. Here's his genealogy. Think of the contrast between the stories of his baptism and his birth. His baptism story includes the demonstration that God was pleased with him, while his birth story is filled with people who displeased God. Right? You're my beloved son, and thee I am well pleased. And in the genealogy, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. In his baptism story, God's love and grace are wrapped up in a person. The birth, or excuse me, the person of Jesus Christ. 
But his birth story demonstrates that God's love and grace are to people who need him. Through both his baptism and birth stories, God the Son and God the Father are inextricably linked. In his baptism, this is my son. In his birth story, started Jesus and work all the way back to not Adam is the first man, but all the way back to eternal God. Because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He came from God. Jesus makes up the beginning and the end. Jesus is is he which was and is to come. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He is the Almighty. He came from God divinely, though he came from Adam directly. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is the God-Man, all God, and yet all man. The first Adam was made a living soul by our almighty God through Jesus. Think about that. The Bible tells us that God created the world through the Son. Colossians chapter 1. Jesus was intimately involved in the creation of the first Adam. He was made a living soul by him. And that first Adam sinned in the garden, plunging the entire world and his descendants into sin. And by and because of sin, death came also. That is the heritage of the first Adam that passed on all his descendants. Why can you read things in the Bible like so-and-so was born, had kids, and died? So-and-so was born, had kids, and died over and over and over again. Why? Because the first Adam sinned. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That's the heritage of the first Adam, but the second Adam. Matthew only connects Jesus to Abraham Luke connects him to Adam because Adam in the garden is the first Adam. Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is the second Adam. The first Adam, made by God's sin, plunged the entire world into sin and death. The second Adam, who Jesus is, went to a world broken by sin, cursed to death, to give his life... That he might give life. Think about this. The first Adam was given life by God and turned it to death. The second Adam was born into a race cursed to death and turned it to life. Romans 8, 8, 5, 18 through 21 says, Therefore as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, that we might recognize even more that we're sinners, as it were. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, 
Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Seventy-five names in the genealogy and all of them proclaim, Look how much we are sinners. But where sin abounded, God sent Jesus and grace did much more abound. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? You've heard me say many times, He came and lived the life that we can't. He died the death we deserve and rose again by His own power from the grave. Every person is a sinner condemned by and in their sin before God who is holy and righteous. His justice demands that sin be punished But his grace poured out that punishment on his own son. Now he invites all of us to receive salvation through faith in his son. And so if you've never believed on Christ, believe today and be saved. If you do know Christ, always remember the miracle of salvation by grace through faith. Don't ever get over it. And if you feel yourself starting to get over it, do some reflection and see what's lacking in your walk with God. Come back to the cross. Remember what he did for you and what it means to your life. Identify with him in his baptism, both physically and spiritually. If you you as a follower of Christ haven't yet been baptized... Take care of that. It's a step of obedience to him. It's that declaration to all that I'm a follower of Jesus. And spiritually, friend, you were buried with him in the likeness of your death, raised to walk in newness of life. Guess what that means? He doesn't want you to walk in the oldness. He wants you to walk in the newness. Identify with him. Truly, Jesus identified with us through his baptism and birth stories. Through these, we see that we have a perfect Savior who identified with us so that he could save us. In these, God's love and his grace are revealed. He spared nothing, not even his own son, to save us. Let's praise him for it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?